It's Thursday, January 11th, 2024, and you're listening to episode 619 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 39 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Mary. This is Wayne. So, you know, we just did a negative episode, and normally I don't really talk about the negative episodes on the main feed because I don't like talking to people about content they haven't heard. I'm only going to discuss this one because we recorded a negative episode, which is kind of an anything goes sort of show, and yet I forgot the point of the negative episode when it occurred. So I can't remember because our recording schedule's a mess, our lives are a mess, whatever. Were either of you on this negative episode where we talked about intelligence? Yeah, yeah I was. I okay, think, okay. So you both were. I was talking about what I think constitutes intelligence and what I think doesn't. And I never in the course of that episode said what it was that got me thinking about this. Like where that thesis came from, but what brought it to the front of my mind. And there's a show called The Y Files that Wayne and I have kind of fallen in love with. And there was a story they talked about recently, and I'll link to this in the show notes if you want to go watch it for yourself or kind of explore that channel in general. But the guy talks about these kind of weird fringe stories, but he does a really good job. He's a great storyteller. He presents the story neutrally, then he presents the evidence for it, then he presents the evidence against it. But he does it in an awesome way that is not quite the, well, here's the mixed evidence you decide. I don't It feels weirdly open yet definitive. Yeah, if he believes that there is a definitive, this is proven or disproven, you know it at the end. Yeah, yeah, and he does a really good job with this of talking about even if we can dismiss part of the story, there's part of it that still doesn't add up and is harder to explain. But anyways... He just kind of talks about all his French stuff. Some of it is weird stuff like aliens or whatnot. But sometimes he talks about things that are very demonstrable in real life. And one of the things he talked about, and I promise I'll give enough context here, so that even if you don't hear the negative episodes on Patreon, you'll follow what I'm talking about. He did a show on something called Cicada 3301, or something to that effect. Cicada and then a four-digit number. Yeah. But what Cicada was is a group of people put together the series of very difficult puzzles that required a lot of knowledge about both computing and cryptography or code making in order to solve them. And they would hide things in all these weird ways where they would embed things in sound files or in the metadata of images. And then eventually they took it to the real world and had, yeah, had things, things in the real world where you'd have to go yeah. to a location. Yeah, to get and nobody knew what was at the end of this. And so at first people were working in groups and then eventually they separated it. So you each had your own puzzle. So if you're collaborating, they would know. And nobody was sure what was at the end of this. Was this like a marketing campaign for something or why were you solving one puzzle to get another puzzle to get another puzzle to get another puzzle? Well, what it turns out it was for is the Cicada Project was a group of people that were interested in creating a broad platform for really wide open speech against anything. So the idea that everyone would have the right to privacy, the right to communication, and creating all these cryptographic standards. 
And so they wanted people that were good at computing, good at cryptography, and good at solving puzzles, and very self-motivated, because they were trying to invent new ways of allowing people to communicate privately and securely on the internet. And even if you're thinking, well, this is a bad thing because it's going to be used by hate groups or whatever, which stuff like that is, it's also used for a lot of noble purposes. So things that are like people that are blowing the whistle on totalitarian governments. This is how they get their information out, is in ways that these governments don't have the technology to track. And they were looking for people that had that set of skills, which would be computers, cryptography, puzzles, ways of hiding information technologically. Well, where it all falls apart is because these people were brilliant with computers and puzzles, they didn't really think through the fact that the people that got to the end of this trail of breadcrumbs were people that loved the pursuit of the puzzles but really did not give two craps about their political or technology agendas. Yeah, the people at the end ended up, they weren't interested in any of it because it wasn't what they were there for. They were there to solve the puzzle. Precisely. And that was so self-obvious that once I understood what the point of Cicada was, I immediately, before the guy that runs the Y-Files, a guy named AJ, before he even explains it, I had already grasped what the problem was. You're attracting the wrong audience. It's like marketing to the wrong set of people. These people, as intelligent as they were, did not understand or did not conceive of the fact that the individuals that not only could, but would be motivated to do all the work to solve these puzzles, did not care about their political agendas. They just liked the puzzles, and as soon as they passed the puzzles and were inducted into the Cicada group, They instantly just blew the whistle and told everyone everything because they didn't care. And that was what got me thinking about what does it mean to be intelligent, which I thought about in other contexts. But that's most recently what got me on that subject. So they lacked a perspective, which actually reminds me of something over the weekend. I played one of the Y-Files episodes for my wife about colorblindness. Yeah. It was specifically the name of it was something on the lines of ancient people didn't see blue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's still true today. Yeah, so it goes through a lot of details about it. But what came out of it, though, was there is a website out there, I found out, that simulates different types of colorblindness. Mm-hmm. So for the first time, we were able to bring up this site, and we did through through the test to verify exactly which types I have, and she could see what I see. Because it goes through and takes out the colors. And we would get to the point where I would look at it as like, I don't see the difference between these two. And she clearly does. Yeah. And it was eye-opening for her to the point that she spent the next like hour showing me things. It's like, is this what this looks like for you? Is yeah. this what this looks like <laughs> yeah, for you? Yeah, yeah. You can do a similar thing. They have ones that simulate what bees see. And by the way, flowers glow to bees. Oh, yeah, yeah. They don't to us. But no, because they can see in ultraviolet. Yeah. And flowers, as much as we like them, and there may be a sort of artificial selection where we are keeping certain species of both plants and animals in existence because we like them. That's not what they originally were appealing to. They're appealing to pollinating insects and flowers look radically different to a pollinating insect than they do us. They actually glow and they appear to be a different color. But that aside, when he was talking about cicada, the fact that these people had a depth of knowledge but no breadth of knowledge was self-evident to me. 
that I already saw where this was headed, even before I had heard what the conclusion of the story was. That like, you're going to get these people in here and you've attracted them with the wrong kind of bait and they're not going to stick around. And this should be obvious to someone who maybe doesn't have an absolute exemplary perfect score brilliance in this one set of narrow skills, but gets how the world works. But was not evident to them that to them, if you can solve these puzzles because we can, that must mean you're interested in the same things we are. I failed to give that context in that negative episode of why I view true intelligence as someone who is above average in a breadth of skills instead of someone who is wildly off the chart, but only in one or two narrow sets of skills, which is the classical way of defining someone who's a genius. And I disagree with that. And I won't rehash the subject here. I think I've given it in enough detail that if you didn't hear that episode, you should get what I'm talking about. But I'll link that in the show notes. If you listen to the negative episode, then you'll get that added context. But I didn't realize until after we were done cutting the show that I never explained why that was on my mind. (laughs) That this dive into Cicada was... was, Anyway. So for our actual gaming topic, (laughs) so not me bitching about people on the internet... I guess they're just pitching two people on the internet. Yeah, which is yeah. interesting because actually not a thing about it. doesn't that constitute us? We're just people on the <laughs> internet. But Mary, you've got a topic for us today. Go ahead and explain it because you were explaining it at dinner and I only half grokked it. <laughs> That's fair. So go ahead. Okay, so this is one of those where I've actually been gaming for like the first time in a very long time with another group that is an online group that we haven't, in theory, played every other week. We hadn't played since, like, January of 2022. Like, so we just started a new wow. game. So yeah, you're in two-thirds? Oh, yeah. Well, so the problem became we were playing a game where the GM didn't want to run. If, if one person couldn't make the game, he didn't want to run it. So we just never played. So we started a new game with the intention of building a game where if one person couldn't be there, we would still be able to play. So it's this is very much less the... We're on our own out in the middle of nowhere, so one character disappearing is really, really glaringly obvious. And more a, this is a setting where if one person's not there, we can very easily write off that absence. And in this case, absence being the titular word because it's set in a school. And we've played two sessions, and the topic really here that really brought to mind is that the school is the whole setting. We started on the way to school, and we are now in a walled-in, magically protected magic school. It's not Hogwarts, but... We use Hogwarts as a baseline. I mean, it's similar, too. So it's a school to what? Teach magic to the magically capable. Yes. And then also other... during your training, you don't get in, you don't get out. Right, you're st- right, and but also it's a more rounded education because you get horseback riding and archery and yeah. martial arts. It's we're we're playing exalted, we're playing dragon blooded. If you know the setting, so it's more like Avatar: The Last Airbender goes to Hogwarts is kind mm. of where we are. But so the the school itself is sealed. So when we get there, and we're part of a, a specific class, and obviously there's more people there than just us. But the people we're interacting with. We're all introduced. So did every year you have a different teacher of defense against the fire arts? <laughs> no, no, no. That no, are all evil? Se- yeah. Several of us are fire casters, so it's a little bit weird. That would be... Uh, okay, so it's not totally out, right. Yeah, yeah. But the thing that this brought up was that there are five player characters, and there's a class that we're part of that is like 13 students, and there's at least as many instructors. And this is the game. 
We don't get to go out into the city and find a shop when we want to. These are the characters that we will be interacting with the whole game. And we meet them all at once. And and part of this discussion can be, is there a way to do it better? Is there a way to make it a little bit more personable? I'm not sure. The way that it happened, we didn't have any names written down. And it's all very Asian themed. So a lot of these names are, I'm making a guess at phonetics here. I have no idea what this It's not Jeff. This is not a name that is familiar to me. So I'm trying to write down the people that we're being introduced to. Like, I have enough time to talk to one person and then somebody else will grab onto another person but all of this was thrown at us over the course of one session and most of it over the course of like half of that session how do you go from there and really learn who any of these people are and how does a gm throw all of this at the group of people at once and be like no go like you know, I, I, well let me actually ask a question you haven't asked yeah maybe it's on your mind but you just haven't stated it which is i can think of techniques and we'll talk about this but i can think of techniques for introducing these characters for exploring outward so on and so forth but to me as a gm what would strike me as harder is in most games you have what we always call the buffet of ideas and you can pitch a lot of different places a lot of different people to the party and see what they latch on to, see who they latch on to, play off of what they like, downplay what they don't like. That's not to say you couldn't do that in a school, right? especially something that has a large campus. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of professors, a lot of students. There'll be upperclassmen. There'll be people who aren't in your immediate circle yet. Precisely. So it's not like there is no depth and breadth of people. It's not like you're stranded on a boat in the middle of the ocean with 10 people. Right. But... My first thought is it seems like you're a little bit more limited in that if someone doesn't like a major portion of that setting, whether it's people, places, the prevailing culture of the school, that you as a game master don't have the ability to just rotate the lazy Susan to the next dish. Or at least it's harder. Maybe not impossible, but it's harder. Much harder, I would say. Yeah. And that's kind of what came to mind here is that this is a lot of stuff. And the game master can only focus on a single yeah. portion of like one one NPC at a time, really. Like we're having a conversation with three other classmates and two teachers at once. And it's like, how how does that work? So and how is it all kept interesting? I love the topic because I really want to run a game that is set on a space station. Not a spaceship, because a spaceship, sure. you go to different planets, so Babylon you go 5, down. Deep Space Nine. Yeah. yeah. You do still have more characters coming in, right? but you have the base core. Yeah, but in this case, you don't have that. If it's yeah. One of the things that I like to do in one of my previous campaigns, the characters were in a boarding house. And so I had not nearly as many people as you have in this setting, but I had about seven NPCs that I had to introduce all at the same time. Yeah. My approach for it, I had names ages and one or two small things written about each one they were shallow until they interacted and then as they interacted that's when i developed them out of the seven three of them became important the rest of them were there but they faded into the background and i never needed to develop them any further than a shallow depth yeah those three i had to develop further and give them that depth you don't need that in session one right? because you don't get to a person's depth when no. you first meet them. Well, and it's going to be interesting. Again, we've played two sessions of this and session number two was really just a, here's a day in the life of school. I promise that the rest of this game will not be you going to classes and that's it. <laughs> this is just a get a sense of what your day is like. 
But between having assigned roommates and specific people in classes, every single one of these NPCs is relevant to at least one of our characters, one of the player characters. And what I observed, like, especially the game too, was that player characters, they would latch onto an NPC, like one of the other students, and then try to draw those students into conversations with, like, everybody kept trying to, like, bring their personal, the one that they yeah. like the best into the rest of the group until, again, the GM is sitting there like, I have four characters who are all trying to talk in the same group of people because you all like different people. As a GM, I struggle with that, too. Well, if, I've brought, if I have four NPCs that are dealing with, they're all supposed to be in the conversation. Yeah. Well, first thing I have to do is give each one of them a different voice. Like, no voice, verbal one. I'm not against so voices. So I can keep them out. Of I'm them. not against yeah. voices, but I'm not playing a one-man puppet show. <laughs> I'm just, the, the, I'm not doing a Punch and Judy show. I have to do it to keep it straight in my own head. Yeah, no, yeah. that I get, which is why in the last session at the very end of our last Epoch of Rysos game, I was starting to give Archimedes an accent was because the characters were starting in my mind to feel too samey and just giving them a funny voice was enough to start drawing them apart. And I need to develop that more in future games. But I wonder to some extent that particular issue could be solved by saying just as the characters must be interrelated to multiple people, maybe the NPCs need to be shared <laughs> That everyone does not get their own pet <laughs> sidekick. That you guys have to share your millhouse and and, and I think it those. will. I think it'll come down to that. I think it, actually the the longest conversation only ever involved two NPCs and multiple mm-hmm. player characters. But it's I think it will be a case of well, we're just sort of because the, the PCs don't know each other right now. We are all strangers at the school, so that's part of the problem is that we're trying to get to know each other, but we're trying not to uh, like. Big mistake. I wouldn't have done that. I, I, it's working right now, but okay. it's, but it, the case is because not, again because yeah. we're confined in setting. I'm not saying it won't work. People win the lottery. Yeah. I'm just saying it's an outside bet in my mind. Yeah. I, I, we also what, don't tend to have contentious players. Okay. So yeah. it's, yeah. Some of us have to GM with <clears throat> Chad. And so <laughs> we have to yeah. worry about that a bit more. Uh, One of the things I've struggled with, I've tried to run games where it are teenagers with school. And I don't know how to run in school. The game tends to end up about being what's after class because trying to run class is boring. The characters can't talk because okay. you just have a teacher. Well, so wait, yeah. well, let me give you, there was a game that changed my mind on that because I had tried to run a few games over the years that took place in school, but the arc of a classroom instruction and then an exam just didn't seem all that compelling of a story until I played the video game Persona 5. <laughs> Where you play effectively two lives. You have the life you present to the public, and then you have what you're doing when no one's around. And you're trying to keep the secret life and the public life separate as much as you can. Part of what you do during the day is you have to develop your social life, your academic life, your economic life, all of these things. You can work jobs, you can go to hang out with NPCs, you go to class, you study... There's all these things you do before you get to the bigger adventure at night. And that sounds like a boring, terrible thing. But having played the game, man, they sold it. I had just as much fun playing the banal sides of life because of the depth they gave them. And I think maybe that's part of the issue is most games are so designed around the idea that you're this big ass hero. You're an extraordinary individual 
that we don't give any nuance to the everyday stuff of life. Yeah. And if you play a game like Persona 5, which is a video game, not a role-playing game, I had as much fun going to class, and they would actually give you exams. And based on how you did in the exams, you would tweet different stats about your character. Now, needless to say, the easiest one, because this was a Japanese game that was directly translated to English, one of the courses was English. I'll just go ahead and say I didn't have to pull out my phone and Google any of those answers. Because I have a little background in English for shocking reasons of being born in America. Yeah, I've played a bunch of games that have the classroom stuff, and it works well in a video game. As a GM, I struggle with it because usually a classroom is a teacher presenting. No, you know, I when back way back in some of my early BattleTech games, I used to start everyone in a MechWarrior Academy, and I would talk a little bit about the setting, and then I would hand out like a ten question quiz, and the more questions you could answer about the way the galaxy works or the battle mechs work or whatever it wouldn't decide whether you were in the game or anything really severe like that but i would set your starting rank and your access to starting mechs based on how well you (laughs) did you know it's one of those things that sounds like it would be terrible and i don't know what made it work i'd have to think about this for a while but it worked. People enjoyed it, and it gave them something to point back to of, okay, this is why so-and-so is the commanding officer, and this person's second, and these people are all the grunts under them. Well, and one of the things that surprised me about this setting, because again, it doesn't sound like the most in-depth game going to class. Yeah. But one of the things that surprised me was how much about my character I learned just by whatever subject was next. And it's like, oh, I really don't like history. Not because of my stats. Like, I have the same intelligence and a couple of points and a bunch of other skills. I don't have a math skill, but I also don't like math. Like, I just, I didn't know that about my character. It's (laughs) it's not just a great way to explore your character. It's a great way to introduce setting. Because you go to a class on, go back to Harry Potter. Or defense against the dark arts, even if your character bombs it, if you do a little bit of an explanation or a little bit of role play in the lecture, you can drop a little bit of setting. I'm not saying give like a three hour oh, no. college yeah. Wednesday night class lecture, <laughs> but I'm just saying that you can here and there drop little five minute bits of the setting. Yeah. Well, and especially via in a setting, the school. especially in a setting like Exalted, where you're playing Dragon Blood on the Blessed Isle, which there's a lot of connotation. Like if you don't know the history of the setting or the religion or stuff like that, it's really easy to be sitting in a class and be like, here's the lecture does anybody actually have any questions or here's something about the setting that you may not know or but your character would yeah well and you could then do things like something that's going to come up in that session you start the class with one of the teachers giving a lecture on that thing yeah then you could also have some fun what is the world wrong about what are they wrong about in history and have the teacher give a full lesson that's wrong oh and, and this setting is really good for that because it's this is the way the dragon blooded see the world the solar exalted have a completely different view you on know, things, but the, you were raised in this culture, so this is the way you so see the world. There's a homebrew sci-fi game, and it wasn't mine. We've referenced it a few times on this show. That was written by a guy that we used to game with. And one of the things that he offered in that game that I loved, because it made perfect sense in that game, was there were two different skills in the skill list for characters. There was history. And then there was true history. And with history, you knew a greater breadth 
of history, but you also knew a lot of the Victor's Right, the history, the propaganda. propaganda. Yeah. Whereas yeah. if you knew true history, your knowledge of basic stuff, like George Washington crossing the Delaware, was a bit more limited. But the really weird stuff, like this isn't actually how that war ended, you would know that stuff. Yeah. And so built into the game was a mechanic that was already established for knowing what you were being taught versus what was actually going on. And I loved that. And I don't know that works in every game, but in a game like you're talking about, maybe it does work. And the other thing that came to mind about going to a class like this is aside from a little bit of character knowledge that I wasn't aware I was going to you know, learn about my character... The other thing that it kind of led to was going and seeking out some of these other NPCs that I otherwise wouldn't have talked to because I'm like, oh, she looks like she might be good at math. I'm going to go talk to her. And oh, right. Turns out she's my roommate. So I should probably get to know her better anyway. Like it's just, there was a lot of very organically led to interaction with NPCs that clearly are there. Like these are the ones that are around us. But there are just these little things where I'm like, oh, I might be able to get her to tutor me. So, so I'm going to go talk to her. You've actually touched on both of my other two thoughts i'll give them one at a time but the next one down is in order to make this work if you're in a limited environment where there's not a constant influx or outflux of people that you would see like say in babylon 5 or deep space 9 that you've got this relatively small body of students and teachers You've got to create a real diversity of people Yes, where their interests, their skills, their personalities, their backgrounds are so all over the board that you're creating that buffet in one place. People don't have to walk to see the dishes change. Okay, I'm torturing the metaphor. (laughs) But (laughs) point being, though, that... I would say with your NPCs, they need to be so radically different from one another that if they latch on to this but not this, well, fortunately, the first thing that's actually of interest to the party was one of the things there. Because if the NPCs are fairly samey or tend to run in a relatively narrow band, maybe there's some difference between them, but they generally agree on 90% of things and conform to a culture If that bombs, you're screwed. Oh, yeah. There's no way to draw interest to any one of them if they're all the same. Like, why would somebody gravitate to one over another or or multiple than just talk to... They all have the same opinion. I'm going to talk to this guy. Well, and I think that's something you also need to play with is that if you want them to feel real, then they have to have relationships that have nothing to do with your characters yes so having them interacting with each other you see the two of them talking what common interest do they share oh these two both like math one of them hates sports one of them loves sports yeah that's another one i think is along with the diversity of npcs is that the npcs have to have their own life you have to be able to look at these npcs and say okay they've got their own relationships They've got their own agendas. So even if you're not otherwise invested in the life of so-and-so, then you know, Fred the Firecaster or whatever, then maybe you don't care about Fred the Firecaster. It's not an interesting character. But the fact that Fred the Firecaster is invested in some extracurricular activity that stumbled across some secret hidden tunnel... This now makes Fred a little more interesting to you. Yeah, or maybe Fred the Firecaster has been pulled into your inner circle and you need to know something about math. Fred knows nothing about math, but Fred's girlfriend is really great at math. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So now Fred is your way as a GM to bring in 
NPC Janine. Right. Yeah. And then in this case, like I said, there are different levels to these NPCs. Some of them are our classmates who we obviously are going to get to know better. And the others are the teachers. And it's one of those words like, some of these personal lives are going to matter way more to the students than, or to our, our player characters than the others, but they still have to exist. And it's all taking place in the same place. So it's going to be interesting because everybody who's important to the plot has already been introduced. And that's going to be weird. Like, it's it's going to be an interesting challenge, I think, from maybe from a running standpoint more than a playing standpoint. But everybody's relevant. And that's difficult to wrap my head around as a player, I think. Well, from a running standpoint, they may have all been introduced, but not everything about them has been introduced. Oh, almost nothing. So as a GM, you still have plenty of room to play with each one, but you also have something new for you. Yeah, you, you bring know, out actually, new that, aspects that's, that's a fairly good idea and a good point is that even if you're not meeting new people, it's possible you didn't really know the people you've met. And that's something where the game master is only bound to the things that they've made canon up to that point. Right. And so Fred the Firecaster secretly is doing this, this, and this. Maybe you made that up on the spot. It doesn't matter. That's now canon. And so you can sort of change who the people are without actually changing who they are. You just change what it is you think to be true about them. And then you can introduce things that don't make sense and you get to discover why. Janine loves math. Janine hates sports. You get Janine in private and suddenly she starts answering sports questions. Why does Janine know about sports when she hates sports? Janine doesn't hate sports. Fred hates sports. And Janine doesn't want her boyfriend to know that she is a sports fanatic. And so she's keeping that hidden from him. But you now see and then you you can have all this fun as a GM of having these lines of Janine will never talk about sports if Fred is there. But if Jacob is there, she's going to talk about sports. Well, and I think that that may bring up something that is unusual for me, also related to to having all these NPCs, is that this game is going to come down so much to who is talking to who about what. Yeah. It's not who's fighting who. It's what are the relationships between these characters? And these are the only characters that we have to make this web. But there are fixed points. Oh, and if I were a GM, I would be taking notes on what I said Throughout the entire session, because there is the what's really going on and what they're really doing. And then there's what I've shown to the players. And I need to keep track of what I've shown to the players. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this would be another spot to cycle back to the listen to what the players are saying. Yeah. Oftentimes your players create your drama for you by their speculation. But their (laughs) speculation shows you one very important thing, which is where they're thinking and what they're interested in. And what they actually picked up. On. Yeah. Because if they don't bring it up, they clearly might not think it's relevant or they don't bring it up in the conversation. Maybe they yeah. didn't see it. That just, yeah, fell under the reticular filter. Yeah. And they just didn't care about it. So, so one thing I'm really curious about on your game here that you're playing in, mm-hmm. are the, you all in the same class every yes. hour? So far, yes. Okay. Because that's one thing I struggled with when I had, say, a teenage superhero game is it didn't seem reasonable for them all to be in the same class. Gotcha. I'm going to have at least one class that all the characters are in. But other than that, 
you would have two in a class together, well, one and in this a class. Is, and, I think part of the difference is this is not structured like a modern high school. Right. This is more structured like a, this is the hour where everybody's either learning poetry or learning music, but you're all in the same area. Well, and you also like said they have a lot of Japanese-themed names and yes, things. Yes, it's, it's, very so Asian, it's probably it's an Asian-themed based, setting. Based on their schools where the teachers might move the class, but the class stays the same place. Oh, yeah. And, and that was that. that's what would happen. We were sat down in a lecture hall, and one teacher left, and another teacher walked in and we went on with the next lecture that from a gm standpoint would make it so much easier because then you have all the players in the same room all together yes and you don't have to worry about well who's in the first period who's in second period well and again you only have the other nine students or whatever yeah. we're all still in the same class you don't yeah. have two people in class with one person and three npcs in class with somebody else that it's all the same group which yeah. does help with that that would make it a lot easier i think something else and this is certainly something we've given no short amount of airtime, but seems uniquely relevant to this topic is I would be really sure to make everyone at the table give me a set number of NPCs that they're tied to. Because I want to know if I've only got a very small and finite number of NPCs to work with. Now, I can't guarantee that the way I execute a character is going to interest you, much less the party as a whole. But... If you say, look, my character is friends with this person, rivals with this person, lovers with this person, whatever, then that at least gives me some kind of a jumping off point to have some sense of what everybody wants out of the game, what they're going to care about in NPCs, who they're going to care about in NPCs, and would give me a running start on trying to get the most out of the NPCs that I have. You know, I want that in most games, but I don't think I would need that for this. Really? Because they have, these NPCs are going to be in the room. They don't have the choice of latching onto a different one. <laughs> I guess, but knowing that they, I, I'm not sure I'd want the players to describe every NPC, but knowing that, okay, if I'm really just out in open water here, I just got nothing. The players aren't giving me anything. Okay, you said your characters really care about Janine. Janine's coming back to the scene. And maybe we haven't established yet that the players care about Janine, but you've at least told me the characters do. Yeah, this is another case of we bring different baggage to the table. Well, and, and I've never had that issue because I've always had players that will latch on to something. Oh, I've never had the player gracious. that doesn't latch on to anything. No, I, I yeah. yeah, you've had players who are the drowning people who flail for something to grab onto. Yeah. I've had players who are the drowning people who say, you know what? I don't like that flotation device. I'd rather just drown. <laughs> and this is definitely where you and I... So, I have to start off with, okay, what would you like the life preserver to look like? <laughs> because if it's not the right color, you're not going to grab it. Yeah, I have players that just will grab every NPC. And I like the idea of the, you have this many in the class, because before long, normally they'll have like 20 NPCs. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there is a limit. There is an episode. at things. Yeah. yeah, there's an episode coming here of you players, we hate you. Not because we hate players in general, but just like Wayne and I in particular, <laughs> going through our, our conflicting traumas <laughs> of how... Half of our GM issues are because of messed up players yeah. we've had. And we are still trying to get past those broken relationships. But it definitely helps develop what your style is yes. as well as your preferences. 
Well, and in this particular game is interesting because we the characters don't know each other, they don't know any other NPCs. You're kind of drawn together from all parts of yeah. the island. For I think this a setting. school setting really allows for that. It does, and I think the confined nature helps. Like you said, you have these people, so you better interact with these people because yeah. that's what you got. But there's a sort of a little bit of compromise here. With Dan's point, is that everybody had to bring a mentor. Basically, you had to have a sponsor to get into the school, and they're not part of your everyday life necessarily, but they're in the school with you, so you have your aunt you have your older brother or whatever so that npc character that you made and you care about is there they're just not necessarily a part of your everyday life yeah in these interactions. I, I, no, that's a good idea yeah. to have a sponsor academic counselor or someone that you have to design that is responsible for your presence and your progress and so there's someone there that you're always checking in with and at some point the players may begin to chafe at that because they feel the character's a bit nannying mm-hmm. but they would at least start off with some tie to that character they have to check back in with that person yeah and I think this is one of these things where we're describing it in the context of a particular game right but I'm thinking through multiple games where this would help a lot. A D&D game where you're part of castle politics or court politics. Same basic thing. Yes, some new people are coming in and out, but most of your cast of characters is going to be the people that are in this castle. It's going to be the captain of the guard. It's going to be... You're always talking to the same chamberlain. Yeah, the same chamberlain, whatever. The son of Shoal. A Skies of Glass game where you are a farm community. You're not a mercenary. You're not a merchant. You live in the town. Yeah. Yeah. Or something like another D&D example. You're all part of the same paladin order. Star Trek. You're mm. crew of the same ship. But it's a big enough ship where you can have your whole life and adventure on the ship. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But within Star Trek, depending on the ship you're talking about, the crew ranges in size from... What, about a dozen people up to three to five hundred? Right, and the away team is only ever three guys, and you don't have to be one of those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I say, if you get into next-gen, thousands. Yeah. Enterprise D had a crew of over 2,000. Yeah. Yeah, which, you know, is a lot of people, and maybe it would be a lot to keep track of for a role-playing game. But having come from a high school that had 2,000 students, and we were just talking before recording about the overlap between friends that we just so happen to know that I went to school with and how we can recognize it. I mean, you get to know these people. 2,000 is a lot of people, and yet simultaneously, it's really not that many people. Yeah, I love playing a game on Facebook occasionally of looking at my friends, particularly local ones, and then looking at mutual friends and seeing who do they know that I know that I didn't know that they knew. Or, Or showing up to your high school reunion and going... And everybody knowing who you are, even though you weren't friends with these people in high school. Not that you weren't enemies, but you just didn't know who they were. But everybody apparently remembers you. It's like, you look vaguely familiar, but you know my name. This is very strange, but it, it happens. Yeah. All right. So uh, go ahead and take a look at the show notes. We'll have a link to the Y files. I think that's the only thing we brought up in this show that really necessitates a link. But other than that, have a great week and great games. And we will catch you guys next time. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2024. Listeners are free to use this episode in a non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. If you wish to support this show and its related endeavors, you can do so at patreon.com slash feartheboot.